Hello, I'm Chris Alvarez and welcome to Spacewalks Money Talks, where we talk about the business, policy, and technology behind space exploration and commercialization. We're on the web at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Dale Scran, Chair of the Executive Committee of the National Space Society. Thank you for speaking with me. Thank you, Chris. So first, um, tell me, what is your background in the field of space? Well, professionally, I'm an electrical engineer uh, with a master's degree from uh, University of Michigan. I worked at Bell Labs for 17 years, and uh, then I held executive positions at uh, three different startups, actually technically four, but um, Ascend Communications, Sonus Networks, and a company that I founded myself called CMware. As I like to say, we're a lot like Pandora, but a lot less successful. Um, so uh, that's my, you know, so that's my career, um, and I've also been very active as a volunteer in the National Space Society. I had uh, sort of two epochs in my career. I was, I was originally a member of the L5 Society and the National Space Institute for an merger to form the National Space Society, and uh, in the like the 80s and the early 90s, I was I had many roles. I was on the regional board of the National Space Society. I was the president of the North Jersey uh, L5 Society. I was the editor of the uh, Space Actors Handbook for three years. So I did a lot of things. I could I could talk more. Then I, I kind of went into uh, space activism retirement, uh, starting in 1997, when I joined the Send Communications, which was. Let's just say a famously difficult company to work for, a very long hour, very difficult, mm-hmm. very challenging, and uh, uh, eventually bought by Lucent Technologies for $24 billion. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I worked at Sonus Networks and eventually started my own company. And around about 2008, I uh, I, I sold CMware, and, which is not, not that successful, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I decided to go to an ISDC, an NSS International Space Development Conference. I hadn't been to one in a long time, and there was some chap, Elon Musk, giving a speech, and, and he was launching rockets, and I got, I said, wow, you know, something is really happening here. This is a lot different than I remember. Um, a lot of stuff's going on. I got excited about it, and I, I kind of re-involved myself in the National Space Society. I, uh, I, I started out as the deputy chair of the policy committee. I'm really interested in a policy uh, space policy and uh, political activism in support of space. Mm-hmm. I became the chair of the policy committee and the executive vice president, who in NSS is in charge of policy. I did that for a number of years. And then uh, recently in May of 2019, I became the chair of the executive committee, mm-hmm. and which is the, the person who has overall responsibility for managing the society. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of my uh, background in space. I'm, um, I'm not a space professional, not really. I, I'm a professional volunteer, I suppose. Um, I, I've never made any meaningful sum of money off of space activism. <laughs> I may even pay for a couple of articles I wrote, but that's about the size of it. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to space society? What what levers can they can they pull to make things happen? You know, what's their what's their impact? Well, you know, we have I'd say three fundamental kinds of levers that we pull. Uh, one is the most direct one is our, our, our legislative activism. Um, you know, we do have at this time, uh, actually, you know, I think had a lot to do with this. We have a full-time uh, DC rep, 
uh, in, you know, who represents us on the Hill and in hearings and so on. Um, we, we also do two legislative events uh, annually. One of them is called March Storm, and the other is called Fury. March Storm is usually uh, in the middle of March, and we, we bring in people from all over the country to uh, march the Hill and talk with uh, uh, Congress people and senators. And then the, the Fall Fury uh, is a home district activity. It's actually going on right now. We used to just do it in August, but now we extend it all the way from August to December. And we organize uh, citizens to uh, meet with representatives of their home districts. So those are that, that you know that's our that's one way that we try to influence things. Mm-hmm. And we form an alliance with other like-minded groups. We call it the Alliance for Space Development. That's got a website you can check out. Anchors fifteen five hundred one C three is in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the main partners in that is the Space Frontier Foundation, but also includes the Mars Society, the Moon Society. Students for Exploration and Development Space, Space Tourism Society, and a bunch of others like Lifeboat Society, Space Renaissance, and so on. Um, and we together uh, define an annual legislative agenda. Uh, we, we typically have three to four objectives per year. And uh, actually, for a number of years, I was the NSS representative to the board of directors of the Alliance for Space Development. Uh, although just recently I've had uh, someone take that over for me. Um, you know, so our goal in the AST is to have trackable, actionable milestones. Uh, it, it's not just NASA should have a few more billion dollars, and I could certainly talk in more detail about that. Um, I think it's been very successful. I'm, I'm extremely pleased with that. We started it in 2015, and I think we have a really good record. We publish an annual report card. And uh, if you go to our website, uh, org, uh, you can find the report cards for each past year, you know, what we actually achieved in terms of legislation. Um, so I'm kind of losing track of the, of the next question. I, I think, I, oh, yeah, what are the three things, the three levers that we have? Right. So that's one lever. Uh, another lever is education. Uh, we do quite a few educational events. So I think the most important one, is the Space Settlement Contest. We have 10,000 uh, students that participate in it every year. Uh, we also have a Space Settlement Competition, which is a little different, a little more intensive. Um, it has a large number of students as well. Uh, they typically uh, come together at our, our our annual conference, the International Space Development Conference. Um, we also recently started uh, some debates on space governance at that, uh, at that event. So uh, we're trying to reach out to students to inspire them to uh, be participants in our future in space. I'm actually really pleased. Um, one of the leading engineers on the SpaceX's uh, Mars City team uh, was, in fact, a winner of our space settlement contest just a few years back. So I think you know that's kind of a direct influence we're having. And then the, the third way we, we influence uh, the things is through our conferences uh, and magazine. We publish Ad Astra four times a year. It, it's won a lot of awards. Um, it's it, you know we try to use it as a way to kind of provide broad leadership. Uh, we also have the International Space Development Conference, which is a big tent conference. We try to reach out to the moon, to Mars, to business, to students, to all sorts of groups. Um, and uh, you know it's it's a it's a multi-track conference. It's it's quite a bit bigger than some of the other space conferences. Uh, we have a lot of famous people uh, came. Administrator Bridenstine was uh, at the last one. 
Um, the one before that, uh, Jeff Bezos was our guest of honor. Hmm. And he, he announced the renewal of uh, The Expanse. Uh, and we also had the whole crew, of the whole cast of The Expanse there. So it's a really exciting event. Um, so those are our, our, we also have something we call the uh, Space Settlement uh, Conference or uh, Space Settlement Summit. Hmm. And uh, that's an invitation-only event. We're having it next week at Caltech. And uh, it's intended to, for, to, to be like an annual high-level discussion of what we can do to advance the cause of space settlement. Mm-hmm. So those are our three ways of doing things. Would you say, considering the limited number of funds available for any kind of space um, research or activity, space-based um, activity, is there any tension between, um, say, within the government, dollars for... Uh, deep space research and telescopes and that sort of thing, the science versus trying to um, commercialize space, trying to get uh, private industry more into it. Is there any kind of tension there? Well, there's, there's always, there's always some tension and uh, you know, the, the, I think there are some, some individuals who view this as a zero sum game that any dollar that's not spent on science is, is like taken right out of the hands of the, the scientist and uh, stuffed in a capitalist pocket or something. Uh, we don't look at it that way. We think that a robust commercial space uh, business or a robust activity, we like the phrase driving economy in space, will lower the cost of doing business in space, lower the cost of getting to space, lower the cost of doing things on the moon and Mars and will make science more affordable and more ubiquitous. Uh, and I think, I think we're seeing that happening. We've already seen uh, significant increase or decreases in launch costs because of commercial space activity. I think we're poised to see a significant, much greater, further decrease in costs and a real explosion in things over the next five years. So, I mean, I, I, there's certainly those who see that conflict. We don't see it. Okay. Uh, what challenges in space business, technology, or policy are you most concerned about and why? Um, well, um, uh, policy-wise, um, I, I think that there, there are four uh, concerns that, that I have. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one of course is just space debris. Um, we've been very active in the area of space debris. If you look at the NSS website, space.nss.org, you'll see we have quite a number of position papers on space debris. Mm-hmm. We've been very active, I think, in creating thought leadership. And, and, and in fact, I would modestly claim that a lot of what the government's doing now is simply taken from our old position papers. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's not well known, but it, it's true. Um, but I, it is a very important issue, and I, I think um, you, you don't have to be a member of the Green Party to recognize that if there's a Kessler event, our future in space will be truncated. Mm-hmm. It's in everybody's interest to make sure that there is no Kessler event. Uh, planetary protection, I think, is an area of challenge. I think there's a conflict, uh, especially in the case of Mars, uh, between you know what people uh, like Elon Musk want to do and what some scientists may want to see happen. And I, I think the fundamental challenge is that it is, you can't prove a negative, right? You know, right now we don't know there's any life on Mars. We've spent quite a bit of time looking for it. We could spend 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 
thousand years, we might still never find any life on Mars, but it still might be there. And the question is, is how long are we going to wait before we send a human to Mars? How long are we going to wait before we build a city on Mars? And is it possible that we're not actually going to find any life on Mars or even fossils of life on Mars until we actually send humans to find them? It's going to be a big issue over the next five years. And it is going to become more and more salient than the public eye. So that's certainly an issue I'm concerned about. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, one of our agenda topics is to try to make uh, space development and settlement part of the uh, fundamental law that governs NASA. Hmm. And uh, we've been struggling to do this for, for some time with varying degrees of success in different, uh, in different uh, parts of Congress. Um, you know, we, uh, like I say, we've had success, we've had bills introduced, we haven't quite put it across the threshold, uh, but it is something, I think, I think the average American thinks that NASA is trying to settle space, but that is simply not true. Uh, NASA is not doing that at all, and NASA is pretty much 100% focused on space exploration, and a little bit on space commercialization. Okay. And we'd like to change that so it's a little more balanced. Uh, we also feel that a space settlement, uh, besides providing a permanent, you know, sort of ongoing rationale for humans in space, the kind of research that's needed right now to make space settlement a reality will also be tremendously beneficial on the Earth. I mean, what you need to have a space settlement is organic, high-intensity, low-water agriculture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. extremely valuable on the earth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in cities or desert areas. Um, and, and the research is pretty much exactly the same research. So you can just take whatever you did for the settlement and, and put it into New York or Detroit or Dubai or wherever you want it. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know, something to keep in mind. It's not uh, well understood. But I, I think the fourth challenge um, is that you know, we have an upcoming presidential election here, and, and there's actually been some significant success in advancing commercial space over the last, say, eight years or so. Or, and there's been something approximating a, 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 par, a bipartisan policy, and, and that's not well known. But, I mean, we just had a, an authorization bill come out um, from the Senate, I believe, uh either today or yesterday, and it's bipartisan, you know, the Democrats are together, you know, Cruz and Cinema are both arm-in-arm embracing it, and that's wonderful, uh, but there's a real chance that, uh, you know, after this election, this will all get washed away, and a lot, there'll be a, a big setback for a lot of commercial activities in space. Uh, so, you know, depending on exactly who wins and exactly what their policies turn out to be. So that's certainly something, and you know, our approach is to have a bipartisan space policy. We engage equally with Democrats, Republicans, and all other parties. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make the case that space is something that, it's an American issue, it's not a Democrat issue or a Republican issue. Mm-hmm. So those are the policy challenges that I see. Do you see any challenges that, uh, and this is kind of a relative question, but that could easily be fixed or addressed if people put their minds to it? I, I think the, the kind of, of challenges that could be most easily fixed um, is, is, is things like uh, airspace management. Right now, there's been a growing conflict between um, airplanes and rockets, especially in Florida, mm-hmm. and that's because of the really quite 
antiquated practices of basically shutting down the airspace over Florida when there's a rocket launch. And that greatly interferes with the airline's activities and profitability. And this is not a sustainable way forward. I think it's fairly obvious what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But and it's, it's just a question of, of the airlines and the, and the airline pilots kind of acknowledging that people are going to be flying rockets. They're going to be flying them more often. Mm-hmm. And that we need to have an airspace management system that takes that into account. And we have to stop having a situation where every time a rocket it implies that it's just, a, you know, you're shutting down this mammoth corridor of airspace for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So I think that could be solved, but it's also a very important issue. I think another uh, another uh, issue that is relatively straightforward to solve is there's a lot of regulatory hurdles surrounding remote sensing, and uh, it's relatively difficult to get permission to do remote sensing, and uh, I, this is something that it's, it's ultimately regulatory issues are anything that doesn't require money, that just requires bureaucrats to write new regulations, mm-hmm. you know, is, is at least potentially easy to solve. Now, politically, it may be difficult. That, that's another matter. Right. Have you, have you encountered any issues in, on this subject that people aren't talking about that you, you think they should be talking about? Well, I mentioned planetary protection earlier. I, I think that we're we're starting to see a dialogue on planetary protection. And NASA put out a report recently that was very constructive. And also, I, I would applaud the National Research Council. They they put out a, a fairly extensive report recently, and uh, you know, sort of um, put forward the idea that there should be zones on Mars, you know, for habitation, for resource development, for science that are basically preserves. But I, I, I think the idea, the conflict, is with certain individuals who basically see everything off the earth as a totally pristine nature preserve where no one but a few elite scientists will ever tread. And that's totally antithetical to the National Space Society's vision of millions of people living and working in space. We see space as the future of humanity, and not a future for a few elite astronauts, but for basically anyone who wants to go there. And that's not compatible with making space an eternal nature preserve. Uh, and and it's, it seems um, a little bit bizarre, but uh, there's even those who are concerned about contaminating the moon, even though we know the, the moon is... is totally dead, and uh, I, I think it's, uh, obviously there's always going to be uh, historical sites that need to be protected. In fact, NSS has been active in working with a group called For All Moonkind um, to preserve the historical sites on the moon, uh, the Apollo landings and so on. Uh, we think that's important, but that's not the same thing as turning the entire moon into a nature preserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that sounds like it could serious, seriously stymie efforts uh, to support private industry to go out and um, try to commercialize space. Yeah, absolutely. What excites you most about space? I think there's just no question. The thing that I'm personally the most excited about um, is commercial space. I, I think the prospect of having activities in space not be dependent on the vagar- vagaries of the congressional whim or the, the whims of the administration 
there's been a lot of back and forth in the NASA budget. We're going to go to the moon. We're going to go to the asteroids. We're going to go to Mars. We're going to, oh, we're going to go back to Mars. You know, I mean, sometimes it seems like they spin a, one of those magic eight balls and pick a target every few weeks or something. Um, it's, it's really not good. And it's refreshing to see the focus of private actors who want to do things in space, whether it be simply to make money or to build a city on Mars. They don't spin an eight ball every week and decide on a new plan. Um, they, they may change their tactics, but they're still trying to do the same thing. So they're, they're, it's, it's difficult to get away from the, the fact that SpaceX and Blue Origin are enormously exciting. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking at my screensaver right now. It's a picture of uh, the SpaceX Starship under construction. Um, if Starship is anything, you know, even a quarter of what it's claimed to be, it will be a revolution of unprecedented proportions. And uh, so it's extraordinarily exciting. It's also being done very transparently so that citizens can observe what's happening in a way that's very unusual in the aerospace industry. And I, I think it's not being covered very much by the mainstream press. One of my hobby horses, I think one of our hobby horses, is that the mainstream press has to a forest order stop covering space at all. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while there's something discovered, like the, the recent spacewalk with two women got some decent coverage. Mm -hmm. But I, I, and I, I go sometimes to make, to, to do uh, talks on colleges, and it's shocking. I mean, some people actually believe NASA has been shut down. They're not even aware there's a space station. Uh, there's not, they're not even aware American astronauts are in the station. So it, it's, it's really sad, the, the ignorance, the, the massive public ignorance about space that exists. Uh, the, the other thing I'm really excited about is, um, I would say asteroid exploration. This is a grand time uh, to be, if you're interested in asteroids or asteroid mining, so right now we have a Cyrus-Rex and... Um, Hayabusa 2, uh, both exploring asteroids at the same time. It's, it's a fantastic, incredibly exciting uh, set of events to follow. Uh, NASA has two new probes, uh, Lucy and Psyche, also for asteroids, also coming up very soon. Very, very exciting probes, one to an all-metal asteroid, one to the Earth-Sun Trojans out around the orbit of Jupiter, some of the oldest asteroids in the solar system. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, it is cool. Um, something you talked about a little bit just a couple minutes ago. Yeah, the Artemis, the Artemis program doesn't seem to be generating the public excitement that I would have hoped for. Um, it seems that it's kind of, it, I guess the public, public attitude seems a bit anemic, but maybe I'm comparing it to the wrong things. I don't know. I'm, I'm worried about that excitement not being there. So, so th this is a, a complicated and, and sensitive matter. So, I, I mean, it's 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 great that a lot of interest is being focused on the moon. Uh, NSS is extremely uh, excited about uh, the so-called CLPS, Commercial Lunar Payload Services. That program, uh, that NASA program, is pretty much the perfect program from our point of view. They're paying a bunch of commercial providers to. Uh, do sort of high-risk landings on the moon and then providing scientific payloads, including the Viper payload to look for lunar follicles. It's, it's just a wonderful example of the kind of thing NASA can do, uh, done right, 
uh, and it's probably going to be low cost and high reward. There will be risks. There will be missions that fail, but it's it's a fantastic program, and I think that you know it's to some degree motivated by the Artemis program. Um, but unfortunately, uh, there's a tension between doing things on a schedule, meeting a mission, and having a sustainable cost-effective program for returning to the moon. You see that all the time. Um, and, and in fact, in these three lunar programs that, uh, that are proposals for lunar landers that, that, that were we expect to see, as you know, the, uh, the Blue Origin has their so-called national team, Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, and uh, Blue Origin, which is, is sort of a compromise. It's a three-part lander to be launched on three different commercial rockets. Um, and uses the gateway and all that. It, it has the, I think, the advantage that it could potentially exist in a post-SLS world. Then we have the Boeing proposal, which is a sort of uh, space launch system on steroids. You know, everything is all SLS, nothing commercial. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it's expected, it may not happen, that SpaceX will bid the Starship as a landing vehicle. And that's the revolution. You know, that's the, the completely new way that would, basically sweep everything else aside uh, if it works. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that, there, that, that that discussion I just went through shows the tension, that, you know, that there's the old way, which is just Apollo on steroids, there's, there's the new way, which is what SpaceX is trying to do, and then there's the compromise way, which is what NASA is, is trying to move forward on. And I, I think you can see that it's difficult to get really excited about this kind of a sort of camel by committee architecture mm-hmm. with these kind of tensions uh, where on one hand you have people trying to build something inexpensive, reusable, commercial so on the other hand you have people who are basically just trying to, to sustain a workforce someplace mm-hmm. um, in terms of excitement I, I, I think this is a, actually it's a recruiting problem for NSF because if you're a young person and you're excited about space, it used to be that you could you could work at NASA or you could Join a group like National Space Society and, you know, go to meetings and watch slideshows and all that. But if you're a young person now and you're excited about space, there are hundreds of startups you can go work at where they will pay you money and you will do exciting stuff. And if you really think you want to live on Mars, going to work for SpaceX is probably what you want to do. Uh, I think the first people that are going to live on Mars are SpaceX employees right now. And, uh, you know, that, that's not, that was not true. When I was like 25, that was not true. <laughs> it's true now. And, you know, it's not just SpaceX. There's dozens of other super exciting companies doing just amazing things. And uh, Made in Space, NanoRacks, Rocket Lab, Planet, you know, just Spire, you can go on and on. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of VC money coming in. It's a whole new world. Interesting. Now, you touched on uh, this a little bit already, but um, what advances do you expect to see in either space exploration or commercialization in the near term? Do you see any, like, big, expect any big jumps? Yeah, I kind of am, actually. There's there's three things, I think, that are are potentially the biggest jumps. I mean, what I talked about a bit is... is, uh, the Starship and really Starlink as a combined thing. So the, 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 the you know, this is a, a bad, you know, just sort of a burn your ships and charge the castle thing that Elon Musk is doing. He's, he's gonna give up on Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy and do something completely new. 
that he wants to be so much cheaper and so much better that it, he's, he's obsoleting his own products. And, uh, you know, having Starship will enable Musk to launch the 30,000 satellites to Starlink at, at a very, very low cost, more than anyone else could possibly do it. And uh, I, I was just reading an article today that the Air Force has already started using the Starlink satellites in orbit to provide data to jet planes, and they're providing 600 megabit links to uh, jet planes. And that's unprecedented. There's never been any capability like that before. And uh, it, it's not well understood, I think, but Starlink, with its uh, satellite-to-satellite laser links, can actually beat fiber optic times across the Atlantic by 20 to 30 percent. So, you know, if this happens, which it may not, um, SpaceX will not just become the leading rocket company, it'll become the leading ISP in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, okay, so, and, and you can just see where it kind of goes from there. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And that's just in the next five years. I'm just talking about the next five years here. Um, the, uh, the, the next thing I think is really exciting is, uh, I call it the, I don't know, TubeSat at GoGo or the, the growth of the venture class, uh, satellite. Um, people who are putting together satellites to launch less than a thousand kilograms, whether that's with small rockets like Rocket Lab Electron, or with uh, ride shares, uh, now um, we've seen SpaceX is going to do, I think, I think annual or quarterly ride shares or something. Um, very exciting. I think a lot of student projects are going into orbit, which never would have happened 20 or 30 years ago. And, you know, for a couple hundred K, you can build a CubeSat and you can put it into orbit. Um, I got a nephew at Brown. They've done a satellite. They have a club that built a satellite. So this kind of stuff never used to happen. It's just like a whole generation of people for whom space is not working. It's not about walking the halls of Congress or having a table at a science fair or working at NASA. It's about we're going to go in the lab and build a satellite and launch it ourselves. And that's a different world. Yeah. yeah. A different world. And then uh, I think the third thing is Leo commercialization. Uh, there are three companies uh, competing to uh, make fiber optic cables in space, in Leo. Uh, made in space, FOMS, and I, I forget the name of the third one. Um, uh, there was just an article out today that said uh, FOMS had successfully, uh, you know, manufactured some some Z-Blan cable. The whole idea is, it turns out that there's a particular substance called Z-Blan. You can look it up on the internet if you're interested in what its chemical formula is. But if you manufacture something out of Z-Blan in zero G. It has much lower dispersion, which means it can carry a lot more data for a much longer period of time. Hmm. So there's there's two wins with Z-Blank cable. One is that you can get a lot more data over the same cable, but the, the real win is security because you can go for a long, long period of time without a repeater. Uh, that, and you, you, if I rock the cable, can't be tapped except at a repeater. So okay. the, the holy grail is you get one cable across the Atlantic Ocean; it's untappable. And so this is this is a big deal. This could be the first real business where people fly materials into space, manufacture something, bring it back to Earth, and sell it. Uh, there's a lot of exciting research in like printing tissue, printing hearts, growing blood vessels in orbit. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll see a real revolution in commercial activity in low-Earth orbit. Another thing I think is incredibly exciting is the Northrop Grumman 
a Cygnus platform or a NAM situation where we have two Cygnuses in orbit, the 11 and the 12, and Cygnus is being, is, has been designed, redesigned in the new version to have its own momentum wheel and be able to operate as a three flyer. So it can potentially go away from the space station, do some manufacturing, come back to the space station, unload product. This could be a revolution in space uh, manufacturing. So I'm extremely excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, definitely something that could... It's always good to... Uh, profit will always push people to, to try harder. And it sounds like there's a lot of profit there. Yeah, there, there potentially is. Potential, yeah. Where can people find you on the web? Okay, the way to find me on the web is to go to space, S-P-A-C-E dot N-S-S dot org. And uh, you know, you'll find me as one of the NSS leaders. That's my bio. Uh, if you do want to contact me, uh, it's dale.scran, D-A-L-E dot S-K-R-A-N at N-S-S dot org. Um, and I, I welcome, I urge everyone listening to join the National Space Society. It's a great organization. Uh, it's a great organization for students, for adults, for anyone who's interested in space. We are not, we like to think of ourselves as the Big Ten. You know, we, we, we like the moon, we like Mars, we like the asteroids, we like free space. We, what we like is humanity's future in space. And I invite everyone listening to join me on that journey. Yeah, I do too. I invite them all to, to look into this. All right. Well, uh, thank you for speaking with me. Well, thank you very much, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening. The best way to support this podcast is to rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can get more information at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. You can also follow us on YouTube at spacewalksmoneytalks on Instagram at Spacewalks Money Talks, on Facebook at Spacewalks Money Talks, or on Twitter at Spacewalks MT. Thank you for listening.